Hey, everybody. It's Jackie Johnson, host of Natch Butte. We talk skincare, we talk makeup, we talk all things beauty, and my guest this week is Ariana Maddox. Hi. What do we talk about, Ariana? Oh, my gosh. We answer all of your questions. We do. We talk about how our dogs were in a Pharrell video together. We talk about... Um, exfoliation. Oh, we talk about exfoliation. We talk about uh, tanning, self-tanning. We talk about laser hair removal. We, we go there. We dive, do a deep dive in my makeup bag. We And Tom's. And Tom's. <laughs> and Tom's Sandoval's. So maybe check out Natribute this week and see what we're talking about. See you there. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. If you're a uh, first-time listener, thank you. Welcome. I'm honored to have you. Uh, check out some of my older shows. I often have musicians, uh, artists, writers, many of them legendary, many of them on the in a new but influential and awesome. If you're an old-time listener, and I, by that I mean a dude who's from the 20s and says 23 skidoo, welcome back. I'm always honored to uh, have listeners old and new. Um, today's guest is Justin Rubenstein, of, and I've been trying to get a guy from this band. Well, they, he's of two bands, The Blasting Company and um, The California Feet Warmers, both of them brass bands, both of them a lot of the same guys, uh, and they're great, both great. There'll be a song at the end of this episode by the band, so uh, listen to that. Enjoy that. I think it will be the song that uh, we discuss in the episode, but um, I've known Justin for a long time. They used to play at the bar I work at, and they're fascinating, smart, interesting dudes who play 20s and 30s style jazz and do a lot of other things, and it's really pretty good. We have a pretty goddamn good conversation here. And, uh, yeah. Oh my God, it's quiet. I don't know if you if you're a regular listener, you know I've been having problems with like leaf blowers, lawnmowers, and and uh, one of the jackhammers outside my apartment, and it's just been brutal. It's been brutal. Uh, it's like you know, because like New York City's used to always be like that, and it's like no wonder why people are hostile and punch each other. Uh, you know what I mean? But uh, if and uh, too, if uh, the when the as this episode comes out. I uh, I will be, it will be a few days before, it's a Wednesday, and I will be getting married the following Monday, and that's exciting. I know I've talked about it a lot on the show, but it's getting here. It's almost fucking here. I'm sure all my listeners are going to be really disappointed, because men and women alike, probably you all want to marry me. You've all listened to this podcast and thought, oh, Dwyer. Oh, Dwyer, how could I get that beautiful voice to spend its life with me? 
but probably not me physically, just this disembodied voice that you've learned to love. If you could take me out of the voice and put my voice into another part of the world and be another person, boy, would that be a good person. <laughs> I don't know what I'm on about. Um, this is a really great episode. I'm super stoked. Uh, it's really s- smart and fun, and uh, we also were drinking gin martinis, so I don't. maybe that'll show through. Who knows? Uh, enjoy the conversation. I'm I'm actually the worst in the band at, at microphone <laughs> use, and, and Brandon is always like pushing my head closer to the microphone. How many? I, so I had nine guys to choose from, and I picked the worst microphone guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, and actually, I would like to talk to other guys at some point too. Yeah, I think that they would like to talk to you too. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just at at, at the, the the band house in, in Boyle Heights, and and they all knew that I was coming over here. Was there jealousy? There was a, a mild. Well, there was, yeah. There was like a. Uh, where is he going? I'd like to be going where he's going. Kind. It wasn't full on. There was no hostility. Charles get a little jealous. Charles did seem a little bit sad that he. Yeah, I think. I think. Uh, he was the one I, I think he wants to come out. Okay, I'll yeah. ask him. I'll ask him if he would stop running off to Columbia. He's he's back for a while now. Columbia's <laughs> running off to him now. <laughs> He's getting married, isn't he? He is. That's crazy. We're all uh, getting old. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know when you guys the whole I the Grammy thing is fascinating to me because it's nice to know that I have a friend now who's been nominated for a Grammy. They give you medals. Dom- Do they? Dominic wears his medal out now. Does he really? <laughs> is it like a like a medal of like to, like it's when a, you get knighted? Uh, I don't know what those look like. Like it's you a, know, a ribbon and then a. It's like an Olympic medal. Yeah. Yeah. And it hangs from you, and it says a uh, Grammy nominated. Well, that's so good. A really nice consolation prize. Nice to meet dames. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's. But so when you found out, like, what were you just like doing your laundry, and then you found out, hey, we got nominated for a Grammy performance. Y- yeah, more. I mean, uh, I'm doing my laundry all the time, so <laughs> any any event in my life lands on laundry day, and uh, and it was yeah, but but nobody, I think. I, I think I, I think I, I might have shrugged and gone, huh? And then it didn't really feel like a thing, uh, you know, until until we were at Men's Warehouse buying suits for it. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, that's gotta be. I mean, did you ever even? Because you play twenties and thirties style jazz, and that's not something you were like, oh, we're gonna probably get a Grammy nomination for this someday. Right. I didn't even know, and and it's actually it was in a new category and. The whole circumstances around it were uh, about as kind of mon- mon- it was just it was very ho almost ho hum how all of it happened and then it and then somehow snowballed into like a real thing that has a real effect on your career. But we were um, I don't know if you want me to get into it, but we were yeah. playing at a, a, a we were playing at a good friend's uh, nephew's birthday in Topanga Canyon. Uh, we'd done it a couple years back. He came. He used to come out and actually play trumpet at Bar 107 too with us. Um, we were trying to get him to to learn, so we were like teaching him. Or he wanted to learn really bad. Uh, anyway, so his nephew was having a party in Topanga. We went and played it. Somebody heard it it up the hill, 
and thought that they it was like canned music from the thing and they came down they wanted to, to know what the music was if they could get a cd or something and then they saw that it was a live band and they were having a birthday party the next day so they hired us for the next day so we went up the hill on the, the that sunday and um and the first person to get up and kind of grab somebody and start dancing he grabbed the birthday the birthday lady it was her 70th birthday and to start dancing was this guy kebmo who i'd heard of a little you know a little bit on the blues scene but apparently he's uh he's much bigger than i had had known uh you know than than his name had struck me and uh and he just kind of asked us if we wanted to play on a song and we recorded in Dominic's house. I don't know if that's like supposed to be public information, but we just sort of like set up a microphone and recorded uh, over his song. He'd already tracked it in Nashville uh, in the house. And then that was it. And we thought, that's okay, that's that's crazy. fun. Yeah, that was cool. And uh, we liked the song. And he was a real advocate for us. Like when he came out to LA, he wanted us to kind of play with him for a few things. But um, he just kind of like kept a, a, a finger on the pulse and just like making sure we knew he was happy with it and stuff. And then they submitted it for a Grammy and that's, and then that's it. God, nothing random like that ever happens in my life. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. That's like kind of what everybody dreams of. It's like, Oh, I was doing this thing in LA and then the next thing I know I was nominated for a Grammy. Right. It's almost exactly like, it's almost exactly how it, how it happens for some, like it, it's, it's so hard to, I couldn't have imagined how appallingly disastrous it would have been if we had tried to force it in any sort of way. No way. Like, he just, he just sort of like, <clears throat> it was such a friendly thing. He was like, I'll just put you guys as a feature. And, and then as a feature, you get grandfathered in. And so even if it's his song, you, you're in and that's, that's that. Like, where we, yeah. And, and it couldn't have been more and he wasn't more at organic. The, he wasn't at the Grammys either. Right? He, he was. Oh, he was. He I was. didn't see him in any of the. I just kept seeing you guys get interviewed. Um, we're there's eight of us and one of him, so we <laughs> <laughs> we just like nudged him out. There was no no, but he he came earlier, I think, and I don't know if he came. I don't know if he he brought any. I don't even know if he walked the the carpet. I mean, we didn't we didn't know what we were doing, so we just followed the ushers. But I, I he's done it so many times, he might have come in a back way. I don't know, but we met him in the in the lobby. And he sort of like brought us into a huddle and he said, uh, hey, you know, this was fun. We're probably not going to win, uh, but uh, let's all have a drink afterwards and, 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 and cry on each other's shoulders because, uh, you know, you guys are about to, to see what it's like. You know, <laughs> it was like, you know, real like immediate sort of. Had he been there before? Like he, he been nominated? He's won, uh, I think, several times, um, but I guess I, he knows the ropes and. Um, he wasn't sort of expecting anything big out of this one. That's pretty, um, at least for our sake, you know, as, right. as newcomers, just, just to sort of like dim the, the, the bright and shining light in our eyes a little bit before we get, who, uh, ended up winning, uh, Roseanne cash, Roseanne cash swept that, that whole category, which is Americana roots. And I think they opened that category in 2014. So we also came in like exactly at the right you know, had we done this two years earlier, there, there's no place yeah. for us. Did Did you have any thoughts about the Grammys? I mean, because it's like I I shrug off a lot of things, as and I'm like, yeah, it is. And then it's like something comes your way, and you're like, oh, yeah, I love that person. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, they want to give me work. They're awesome. Yeah. Uh, I. As far as, as far as the the the, the Grammys, the idea, of yeah, the, the entire. Was that a loaded question? I don't want to. No, no, I. Um, 
it, it had just become. I just be. I think we'd all just become aware that you could sort of independently sub. You know, uh, a friend of ours submitted for um, some sort of world music category. Some of her music, and she's not. Um, she's she's pretty well known in in New York, and she tours. But she's. Uh, I mean, like I wouldn't say that she's like popular music in any way. And so it was kind of a long shot, but she had submitted it and there was kind of a voting process and, and a real, almost like a campaign, uh, for, for, for pushing those things mm -hmm. in those categories. And so I knew for these kind of smaller than the untelevised categories that there were, there were a, a number of them and that the, you kind of can do it if you really want to go through the, it's like doing a Kickstarter or something. You really have to sort of push your thing unless you have a label behind you that'll do it for it, uh, do it for you. So I, I, it just hadn't even occurred to me. I, I remember the only th my only thought, in as far as I know, in the last like five years about the Grammys was that I kind of appreciated seeing. Um, I think it was Mumford and Sons came out with a a kick drum at their at their feet and like a banjo, and they maybe had a washboard and an accordion. And I thought, oh, it's interesting to see the likes of a lot of people that I know in New Orleans and 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 in New York and stuff that are playing on the street and doing you know mostly like the buskers um that you see a band that kind of resembles that even though they're such a huge band and they're really popular but the, to see the grammy sort of sanctioning that aesthetic more like an upright bass and a washboard and a, and a and a drum tied to your foot kind well, of thing why do you think people are being attracted to that sort of style again or the, the sim simple simplicity of or like it's not simple music but i mean it's like it's not fucking voice modulation and weird bullshit like that that i can't stand <laughs> <laughs> um i i have no idea i i have no idea where it came from it seemed to come out of i the only because because i i guess in my experience, it, it it was just this sort of under. It was just a bunch of kids, like train hoppers and and kids on the street playing music for for tips. Like I it, and and to imagine that that had any effect on anybody's anybody higher up, you know, like any more successful bands or or uh, fashion people or um, any uh, like a broader cultural aesthetic. Uh, I I can't imagine that 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 they saw like, oh, there's some train hoppers and they have a kick drum and they have a washboard and that would be cool if we dressed Ellen up, you know, in like <laughs> 20s garb and put her in front of a carnival ride. I don't know why, like I remember seeing that a few years back like on a on a magazine spread or something and it looked exactly like, you know, the aesthetic of, of, of buskers that I knew and I didn't know how that happened. So it seems to be kind of a, just yeah. a weird, uh, I don't know what the word is for it when everything just happens all at once. What synchronicity? Is synchronicity. Yeah, weird synchronicity between the, I don't want to say like low, the classes almost, you know, like the, the <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's it, but for some reason it, it became popular. I had no idea where it's it weird, came from. Because like, there's part of me that's like, oh, is this because a boardwalk empire becomes trendy and then people, so, but I also think like, I think people are tired of like computers and fucking all the, everything's so technical and like, distance that i feel like there's a warmth that like people want something simple again right. or something that seems to be rooted in something I, I don't know if i'm reading too far into it 
I mean, th- there must be. I, yeah. I mean, I guess because there there was such a strong push in that direction, there's going to be like a natural pushback. And then maybe maybe also because live performance is becoming so important again that, for example, like point. Live Nation is now uh, I mean, that's obviously for the big for the big bands, but or big touring groups and stuff. But that that's like a really reputable record label. Um, is to join up with Live Nation as opposed to Capitol Records or something like that and get and do a contract with them because uh, everyone's going to get your music for free. Pharrell had, like got $3,000 or something from, from SoundCloud for, for Happy and that's how most people are like, you know, listening to his music now. Is just, uh, and that's crazy. Like millions and millions and millions of people streaming. So he has to make his money, even someone with a big name like him, besides from endorsements and things like that from live performance i imagine i don't know I'm no i've heard that aware, before i mean like record like nobody it's all in and that's why it, there's festivals are so big because that's how a bit a lot of performers are making their m- chunk of money yeah so i imagine like some musicians who who don't who aren't attracted to the fireworks and and light show uh, aesthetic maybe are trying to like dig deeper into like into other into other ways to sort of be showy and you know and 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 play the, and so for example a band a folk band like Mumford and Sons you know might might be interested in that or um and not necessarily seeing it from like a busking you know like busking perspective but I feel like a lot of bands one in particular that's gotten that they just won a Grammy was Old Crow Medicine Show I know they got there I don't know if you know them. I do know who they country. They um. They got their start busking, and I think that narrative has sort of transcended them, and and other people are interested in that. Maybe, Did maybe because of them, or maybe because of just hearing that that sort of that that happens that like people play on the street. And <coughs> there's also to that st- I mean, those styles of music and stuff. There's a, I don't know to see that stuff live is like to see you guys live is an experience and it's way different than listening to it on a record and it's they're both great but they both sort of live on their own does that mm-hmm. and I think that's why that's sort of mu- th- these kind of music is becoming a bit more popular and mainstream because it's like you go see some bands it's like ah it sounded just like the record it's like who the fuck wants that <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. They, we want something authentic and in the moment I hope yeah yeah I wonder about that too because uh some i think i've i the 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 main thing that i've heard the main feedback that we've heard from from our record is uh it's not as good as seeing you live the record's really good Which, though thank you but i also like I, I i i it sounds like it sounds disappointing you know when when i hear that and and but at the same time i i it's also really nice I don't know. I like. I have mixed feelings about that because obviously people are like, "Well, you recorded it and it was nice," and but but I'd rather see you live. And so you sort of you you have this. Obviously, it's just a moment in time. It was done live, so I, I you know it's it's basically you're just pairing it against other live performances, and so it's not it's already imperfect. Yeah. But it's sort of sometimes I'm like, this one this one archive of 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 us is not that. That See, great compared to the I, th- I think the album's great, and I keep listening to France Blues if I th- think I got that song title right. That that one that one turned out. Phil, 
Phil Alvin, if I can. He's not related he's, to Dave Alvin. He is. He is? Yeah, yeah, and you did. Yeah, and I listened to the, to your Dave Alvin. How is he related to Dave Alvin? They're brothers. Oh, is it? Oh, is it the brother? The the Blasters the, brother? Oh, I never knew his first name. It's the brother. Are you he's pals the with the Alvins? Saying, my show's intermingled. My it's so weird yeah. how everything intermingles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, um, yeah, he he. Uh, I forget how it came up, but essentially when we when the Fee Warmers mentioned being interested in recording an album, Phil Phil was like, "I want, I want some, I want to be there. I want to do something with you guys." And we obviously said yes. And France Blues was one of the ones that he did. Did is that him singing? That's him singing. I had no fucking idea. Crazy? Yeah, I just loved the tune. I just I listened to it on audio and. Uh, I hope you guys get paid for that. <laughs> Probably not, but it's okay. if if you know if if you listen a million times, we'll get a few. I'll put know, it on when I sleep on repeat. Hours. Thank you. I had no idea that was him. That's so crazy. Yeah, That's, he's good. Uh, he's a he's a he's a good guy. Yeah, the Alpha, I mean, I don't know. They're they're legends. It's yeah. kind of crazy. And you guys are like that's you guys are in like a lot of the different because I've scenes of you're not just in this. You circulate in all the realms of L.A. music. That sounded really stupid, didn't it? <laughs> that did not come out the way I wanted it to. Um, yeah, we mingle. We we're, uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess we we basically I think for a really long time, and it's it's starting to change now a little bit. And I I don't think out of any any real dark creepings of cynicism, but like for a really long time, it was just yes, like we would just yeah. You want to do something with us? Yeah. Um, and and we didn't really do no's very well at all, whether, you know, except except if we felt like we were really being taken advantage of. And so I, I guess as like a especially when when we would put ourselves in in on the street, like at the farmer's market, the Hollywood farmer's market or something, um, the variety of of like light bulbs that go off like, oh, I want. I want you in the corner of my furniture store or like I want you in this music video or I want you like on this thing or I, I'd like to have you guys like come up on on our during our show or something like we would just sort of say yes to it and then end up in in some sort of relationship with this or that person that we might not have ever had any reason to have a relationship otherwise but because it was at the market and everyone has to buy vegetables and, and walk <laughs> around every once in a while like but it also says a lot about you your talent that's like there's a lot of motherfuckers playing on the street in LA and it's not people are aren't going up to the guy with the guitar going hey want to come to my house right <laughs> it's like well, I mean we, you've been invited into people's homes which is already a big yeah yeah I mean I yeah I don't want to downplay that I mean I also feel like just having a sousaphone or just having you know like the unusual sort of look of the thing like it got us into a lot of places before we really knew what we were doing. I mean, Brandon's great at sousaphone, so I'm not going to say, you know, but um, I could say for myself, like I, I, I was playing trombone on in public way before I probably should have been. <laughs> but the fact that I had this like golden slidey instrument, people were like, yeah, you know, come here and do that. And, and I, pff, I lucked out like that people could stand hearing it because uh, I, I was way, be you know, I'm only now starting to understand what the hell I'm doing on that thing. How how old were you when you started playing the trombone? Twenty four. Twenty. You started. Did you play anything before then? Um, I I did, but when I was really young, I played cello when I was really young, and and I had just started playing cello again 
with my brother Josh and uh we were playing on the street most of the time or at like uh, house like punk house parties and uh, you can't get any volume on a cello and we didn't have any amplification <laughs> so i was just like shredding bow hair and losing strings every day and strings cost like 12 bucks and that's about what we made you know per person on the street for an hour or you know for two or three strings worth of playing so i was like behind on string payments and all <laughs> kinds of things like and then the, you know drunk people would come up and like bang the bow against the the cello and i started realizing i can't this is not a good loud music instrument and i need something that's loud and i found a trombone for like 70 dollars on craigslist and uh just went like honked on it for a while but it, trombone's like not isn't it very difficult to learn how to play trombone or is it I mean, in comparison to, like, say, a trumpet? I think it's easier. Charles has it really easy. I just want to say that. <laughs> Charles has it easy because he put in the time, though. Charles Charles famously says to anybody who's interested in playing trumpet that you have to hate yourself to play trumpet. I mean, that it's you have brutal. It, yeah, it's, it hurts. And it, all, it always hurts. And no matter – I know a guy who's been playing for 20-some-odd years, and um, and – he doesn't he does it like sub professionally he 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 does studio things but he has another job but um i'll see him he 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 works with my 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 father actually and and uh he'll come into the the gym my dad's a personal trainer he'll come into the gym after hours and just blow on trumpet and like he's in pain and he's been playing for years and years and years but just in order to push his ability and like his range or his tone he has to subject himself to 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 horrible uh exercises that that hurt and i think trombone's a little bit easier because it's 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 a bigger mouthpiece and it's a kind of a lower tone and it's a little bit more natural kind of sound and trumpet you really i mean you've seen pictures of louis armstrong's lips like that guy murdered his face in order to 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 continue to like wow wow his audience now, how did you become, this is what always amazes me, is like you guys, and I met you guys probably five, six years ago, and you were, uh, you know, very young, and playing this kind of music, and I'm always like, what, why were you, what, like, why, where'd the lead, like, you, <laughs> I don't know why this won't, but like, most people go, hey, I want to start a rock band and play like Led Zeppelin, and yeah. they're awful, by the way, I can't stand them, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, how did, what appealed to you about this sort of music? Um, how did I, I, in, I just think in a way it's kind of rebellious in the opposite way. Cause it's like, people are like rock and roll. It's like, at this point it's like, all right, rock and roll. We've heard it. Yeah. I think that's what it kind of was, was the, I, I don't know if it was like, it was a fully strategic thing where we said, okay, you know, X amount of people, uh, play punk rock and they do it pretty well. We don't need to throw our hat into the, you know, into the mix. <laughs> like, you know, um, I I think it came from playing on the street, uh, more or more or less. I know my my brother had a huge uh, influence in that direction because when he, I think we sort of both started playing on the street at the same time, and I was going the kind of uh, Woody Guthrie, uh, screamo Woody Guthrie. <laughs> <laughs> route and and he was playing accordion with uh with his um he was five years difference but um in they were in middle school or early high school and um making tons of money playing on the street in nashville um and he had a cello and an accordion and sometimes a bassoon and so i think the 
one the instruments and two um our like they they were part of the klezmer band at the orthodox synagogue in nashville um so they were learning a lot of klezmer music and bring taking that to the street and then being curious about it they sort of they sought out and found some romanian music online and and things that he was much more online or web savvy than than i was so he was good at finding torrents and finding cds and whatever and so he would send me things like oh i found this band and and so because he was interested in that and they were getting pretty good at it in particular he was because he was really really interested in learning all that stuff on accordion um that had a major influence on why we did it and i think that had a lot to do with the, the jewish upbringing and and that that tone the the sort of mood of that music, the sort of happy, sad, like everything is mournful, but we can also like throw a few drinks back and flip the rabbi and we'll, we'll have a good, <laughs> which you literally do on some holidays. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that celebratory, mournful celebratory th- quality of, of Eastern European music had a real uh, attraction. And then the, the, the same goes for, I think, New Orleans music and for, for early jazz was that it was used to like ring in people's lives and ring out people's lives. And, you know, the second line, uh, uh, funeral marches and, and, and ceremonies are like a great, that's just a great way to let people go. And it's, and it's usually fun. I've only been involved in one pseudo, not a probably legit, but it's like, it's in It's like, cause then it's like, nobody's bummed out. You're just kind of drinking and like, I felt guilty because <laughs> it's like, shouldn't I be upset about things? But like, instead I had like one of the best nights in like a very long time. Yeah. I think, I think you're supposed, I mean, it, that's the way it should be. I feel like it's, I feel like it should be. I feel like they're like, I feel like we went wrong somewhere getting, getting, I mean, obviously we're going to be sad about it, but we went wrong with how we celebrate that like a little bit. It, it's the, it's, it's the, I think it's the fucking Christians, frankly. It's, and God the Catholics, because they're so, <laughs> well, because it's like they're so goddamn serious about everything. Like, yeah. they're not, you know, they're overly serious about fucking, and they're overly serious about, they don't, even, the Puritans used to not even have, they wouldn't eat food that was too delicious because they felt it led to sex. And it's like, what a horrible mistake you've made. Because <laughs> that is one of the best evenings you can have is delicious food and then yeah. fucking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That attracted me though. That that sort of that that weird that that weird line between uh, uh, really, you know, um, ab- ebullient happiness and really just creeping and 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 terrible sadness uh, was always it's uh, it just made the music really fun and and made for really beautiful music and I think playing on. I think, and then and then playing it on the street and playing with a cello and an accordion, it it kind of limited the. We, we can't play Zeppelin, and we can't. <laughs> and no matter how many times Freebird was requested, we cannot play Freebird. It's just not going to be what you think it's going to be, and we're not. Yeah, so so we played kind of what we could sound like, and 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 then later became really serious about like, oh, how do you, how do you sound like that? How do you? How do these people do it? Because our approximations are way off and they're really good. And so, uh, you know, then eventually we sort of became more serious about actually looking at the music and 
did you study that formally or did you just you already I mean I think once you know music you kind of can just start figuring things out I don't know I guess I guess to some to some extent I mean yeah I mean in in as much as it's like a language and there's you know different dialects or different slangs you know you sort of you pick up on it if you're interested in it and like um but but to some I mean to some degree it's it's definitely easier than than classical music, probably. I mean, I think classical music is maybe the or or like or like really modern, like all the all the things that have been institutionalized in schools and stuff like that. We we sort of skipped skipped over and 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 aren't necessarily aiming in that direction of like perfect tone and perfect everything. But there's, you know, uh, if that makes any sense, uh, I think so. I, I think that's that's like when I don't know, but. But yeah, you uh, there's there's just a thing. There's like a uh, a totally uh, ephemeral thing about how how the rhythm, like just how it's everything, like how a melody like fits into a rhythm that like is really hard to grasp. But like when you're listening to it all the time and you want to, like you're just aiming for that. So like Charles, who who for example, who did study trumpet for a really long time and went to school for it and everything, has has you know and essentially had to re-educate himself towards, for example, New Orleans jazz because it's not necessarily technically uh, out of his reach, but like to hit the exact like pocket and mood and feeling and to like really bring whatever the uh, the thing out is like like that's hard. It's, it's more hard. of a from the gut opposed it's to the. Yeah. Sub- <clears throat> like you can't like for someone to play like Louis Armstrong, like Wynton Marsalis can probably play all those notes without any effort, but can he do it with the same sort of, I I mean, that's the question for him and for every, you know, right. anybody else that's like <clears throat> aiming for that is like, cause, cause you know, Louis, for example, is arguably still one of the, one of the best and something to sort of aim for, but there's some intangible thing that he did with melody and with rhythm that like still, people always miss like they, they they don't exactly get it or they don't exactly hit it god isn't that insane it's weird right it is i've you watch the there's a that documentary of the newport jazz festival and he, he's at the last half hour of it and it's like i've wa- caught myself i was like smiling the whole like i was just like filled with joy right, right, right. and it's like <laughs> not that doesn't happen often like where you're just like eight again and yeah giddy <laughs> it's like I mean, I, I I feel like I feel like it's exactly, and I, I don't know if we we we've talked about this before. I think we did a little bit, but like I feel like it's exactly the same with comedy. Like you could you could structure a, a George Carlin joke, the same, but only he can execute it with the same sort of like. Is a plum the right word? Like the same sort of gravitas, like the same sort of thing yeah, where like absolutely. when it hits you, you're having so many different realizations at once that 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 you're eight again and you're like discovering some sort of new emotion that you didn't know existed. Yeah. And it's like, oh, why why can't somebody else who's just as good, who's just as good with language, you know, pull off the stuff thing that he did, for example. I saw somebody the other day, it was Johnny Peppernant, but he was just doing these simple and I was like analyzing like he's not even saying things that are technically funny but whatever he would it was just like it kind of like louis armstrong he was just doing something that just made it hilarious and like i mean like hold my sides and it's like you don't see that it's like it's a gift or it's a 
channeling or something. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. And I get. I mean, I, I guess. I guess that mu- like, the the older, some of the traditional music. Um, maybe sits in that pocket more. There was something more, um, urgent about like it. People did it out of some sort of natural inclination, as opposed to some kind of uh, commercial or ego or ego. I mean, obviously, ego comes into it. You want to be the best. You want to be the. Yeah. You want people to to say that that your music is awesome, but like, but as compared to like, punk music or 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 any other like form of music, for some reason, like, people have rebelled against it to some degree because there's this 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 other feeling that like isn't being captured in all of that music. There was like. I, I don't know if you're a fan of Richard Hell, but I really liked Richard Hell or and do. Or like the Pixies and and uh and early like Iggy Pop. Like there was some sort of thing that they did that was like like when it's, I hear Search and Destroy, I'm like, I, I wanna I wanna scream and rip someone's <laughs> face off. Like I, I love I you know? But I don't hear that so much in, in punk music now and so there's kind of I feel like the only way to it's become it's become studied. I think it's like that stuff was just like raw, like fucking let it out or right. let's do something. Where I feel now it's like punk rock is this, for the most part studied, and it's like oh you do this and you do that and you wear the plaid pants and it's that's like, a really no that's a really good point. I especially because uh, we were like that happened recently on uh, we were on a on a on a trip with um, I was with Dominic the drummer and Jeffrey the the guitar player from from Feet Warmers and we were playing old uh un- we w- I found an old Coltrane CD that I hadn't listened to in a really long time and um and I was listening to it and like you know it had the same noodly jazzy modern jazzy like you know things that are out and things that are strange uh and that are now, you know, completely within the institution of, of, of jazz education. Like this is what they, you, you go to jazz school and I imagine that they teach you, you know, exactly how to solo like a John Coltrane or like, um, like somebody like that. But, but you could feel, you could like, it was that, that recording, it was Africa brass. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but there's, um, the, the, the song, I think it's called Africa is, is, crazy and it's really good and and for us like old jazz heads you know sometimes we get like weird and stubborn about it like oh modern jazz i don't want to hear it you know whatever it's it's too a melodic but like we we listen to it sort of again like you know trying to 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 understand it and like coming out of new like coming out of the old jazz like the louis armstrong jazz and all of that stuff like you it's close enough that you can sort of understand why they wanted to go there and why they wanted to get crazy and, and, and why they wanted to like push all these boundaries and, and be strange and, and, and be primal and like just hit everything. Like everything is rhythmic and there's like one chord, but we're going out and we're doing this. And there was like, there was just a sense of that. Like they were really, really feeling it. And now I can't imagine, I I don't know of, and I hope that somebody knows of and will, uh, will, will tell, everybody they'll tell the world about it but i don't know of any jazz music that like modern jazz music that doesn't feel studied that because it's become so much of a it's become so ingrained in the in the music education thing and it's and it's and it's 
and it's become so studied like there's not that sense of like kind of naive i think i think that was one of the things that when you were talking with can i is it okay to refer to yeah, some of absolutely. your absolutely when, when you were talking with sunny from sunny and the sunsets i think that was one of the things either him or dave alvin because i listened to both those back to back and so i might have jumbled up my memory of them but there was something about that they said about the naive like trying to stay a little bit naive about music, like trying not to get so, so wrapped up in the technicalities and so, uh, so uh, like trying not to, trying to stay a little bit, like keep a distance from expertise so that it doesn't become too mathematical, that there's some sort of accidental discovery and, and, and stuff like that in the music. And I feel like that gets left out if you begin to study music too much maybe. And, yeah, I think once you get too in your head about everything, I mean, I think that's the truth for probably any form of expression. Is like if you start thinking too much about it, you're you're fucking yourself. Yeah. And so I don't know if that links back to like why people went that way or like why we went that way, but there was some sort of more like feeling driven thing that excited us about 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 older music there was like there was something that you, that you there was uh, like unstudiable like you 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 it's 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 gonna you're gonna have you're gonna always have a bad show you're gonna always have like you're <laughs> never gonna like you can play it perfectly and it's not gonna be great and like most most of the time your mistakes are gonna be what makes the, the show really good or your um and and i think i think like you know the the older jazz and and the eastern european music had that sort of room for just we want to get really really good but there's so much in just like how you're feeling when you're playing it and 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 that never exactly left us and i think i told you this story but i'm not sure but like we played when we were in savannah we played this this uh this party for some serbian professors uh maybe i didn't tell you the story i don't think so we, we played this party this was early on we had just sort of discovered i think we, we'd been playing a lot of Eastern European Jewish music and some Romanian music, but we hadn't really known anything about Serbian music and someone had sort of hipped us to it. And, and, and we, we learned a couple songs really badly. I mean, this, we were really, I was <laughs> particularly really bad. At, I can't say that for Josh, but like, um, but we had no idea what we were doing and we played this party and, and it was like, it was so, it changed like it changed the entire course of our our band because of the feeling that the party made that the that 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 playing at the party was so, like it wasn't like they they you know they came up and they were putting like licking dollar bills and they were, or hundred dollar bills and they were putting it on our foreheads and they were stuffing things in Josh's accordion bell uh you know bellows and like stuffing money in our pockets or just like kissing our foreheads or something and it was just the feeling of playing at that party made us want to seek out that like the the music specifically like to to get better at that music just so that we could have so we could facilitate that that experience again and and be a part of that experience again so it did it didn't matter if it was like a commercial dead end or anything like that there's not there's no you know commercial there's no incentive to play serbian music in in the united states unless you're living in chicago or something (laughs) like that definitely not in la but like we had to have that. We had to be a part of that, that party for like, like, and, and experience more of those. And it was, and all of a sudden it was like our dream to go to Serbia and play in Serbia. 
and it was for no other reason but because of this party and that's kind of a tangent to, to what no, we're talking how did, about, but like, oh, go, I'm sorry, it, I didn't it, but that it did. That was like that party put the bug, you know, like gave us the, the bug, kind of. I want to go into Serbia, but that but made me think that I've never equated any show I did with like the size of the paycheck I got out of it. It's always been like, fuck, that was really fun, and that's all I ever strive for is like to have that kind of fun when I'm on stage. And if it's anything less. I'm miserable. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and I think that's like the pursuit of like trying to find that. Cause with that fun comes, I think a truth and a purity and, and blah, blah, blah. I didn't right. know what but, but uh, so then when you went to Serbia, how was that? Cause I mean, you're going to play their native music around their country. That's gotta be intimidating and exciting at the same time. To- yeah. Yeah, exactly. It uh, was, um, well, just to bring that back around before it's too late. Oh that, sure. The we were in the second time we were in Serbia. We um we were eating um. We were eating palachinko, which is like a, a kind of a crepe, you know, like just lots of stuff wrapped in a a, a pancakey type of thing, and um, and somebody come and our our old band name was Albania Mania, um, <laughs> which was not Serbian. <laughs> to their to much to their like chagrin but uh we this this lady walks up and she goes hey and we thought because we'd been there a year before we'd played all over the streets we thought maybe we were these recognizable americans who had been playing serbian music and we were were kind of prepared to to sort of be like yeah we were here last year we're playing on the street and she goes albania mania and 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 Josh and everyone just looks at me and Josh because we were the only two original Albania Mania members there, and Blasting Company is what came of that. And like, um, and they're staring at us like, what what is happening? What is happening right now? Why is why are they calling us Albania Mania? And it was the lady from that party in Savannah. Like it was the that's la- crazy. It, she was the one who threw that party, I think, with her husband, and kind of turned us on to, like, we th- she was the reason why we were in Serbia at that moment. <laughs> And I don't think we, I don't think we ever figured out a way to articulate that to her, but we, because st- I think all we just did s- said was, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these are good, you know, these are this is a good breakfast, and but it was like, uh, yeah, it was exact, it was, it was the moment where everything kind of made even more sense, you know, to us as far as what had brought us there. Um, but I was gonna say that it was also like that that reminded us of like like that was the exact feeling of of being sort of like she knew us as 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 the the novices of novice you know uh of serbian music she they they were the ones who first told us of the of the the right serbian songs to play at a party and like you know they were the ones who first sort of like had us write down okay when you play a party you gotta play this song you gotta play this song and um this is the feeling and this is how a party is going to be for the rest of your lives. So they were the ones who kind of like who, who knew how much of beginners we were. And so seeing her like the second time around was still, a, was, was that kind of feeling was like, I don't, I don't even know if we're still ready to prove it to her that we like, you know, we made the trip. We're here, but like, I don't know if you'll, I don't know if you'll, you'll buy us yet. You know, I don't think we've, I don't think we make the cut just yet. And I think that was the, the feeling all the time was like we're really trying we really love the music for some 
crazy weird reason that has something to do with globalization and the internet and <laughs> and and all of that stuff but we can't explain it to you why we're playing your music for us but it's the same as if you sent one of your blues guitarists to to come teach it at like cal arts or something which incidentally is real like they, there's a, a a serbian guitar player who teaches at cal arts who who's really good at blues and and really good at other american forms serbia's taken in a lot of knocks they can play the blues yeah they've yeah. they've suffered yeah it makes total sense in a weird way uh, absolutely i think there's a book i think there was a, there's a book where i don't know if it's called the balkan blues but they they definitely referred to in in the book they referred to serbian music as the balkan blues that's really cool which which seems appropriate um no this is something that interested me is you're created your own major in college mm -hmm. what, what what was that again it's uh broadly it's it was um uh so uh, art and art and social justice uh, uh, particularly like theater and so social justice i forget that you studied theater yeah do you still have that desire at all kind of but it's way like i'm i'm i've gotten really comfortable hiding behind <laughs> a musical instrument and i've forgotten that other thing but yeah i mean yes and no i it just becomes more and more terrifying the more the, the farther you get from it and yeah the more it becomes this like memory of a of a thing that you did before that you don't want to revisit because you're gonna you're not gonna be as good as you were or something yeah but that's an interesting art and because i feel like i don't know i mean art and social justice should be a thing that's commonly very do you think art can change the world? That's a horrible question. <laughs> One of the worst questions I've done in 137 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> um, is it, is, isn't that kind of the elephant in the room that, 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 yeah. that's always happening, though, when, when people are talking about what they do, particularly when they're, when they're doing art? Yeah. Like, that's, that's the thing that everybody, I feel like, is, is questioning at every moment of them doing it. Yeah. Is like, is this having an effect that has, I mean, maybe not everybody, but uh, I feel like a lot of people. I feel like, and maybe I'm out of touch, but I feel like there's a lot of, I feel like so many things are pop culture oriented creatively, like com comedy and everything just references TV and pop music and it, and celebrity. And it really just dr drives me crazy. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Like, I don't feel like we need to satirize celebrity or pop culture anymore. It's like, Warhol did it. We've done it for yeah. another 40 years. Like, please stop putting Lady, Lady Gaga in your fucking paintings. Yeah, because it kind of closes the circle in a way. Like, it, it, if, if it's just constantly referencing itself or referencing something else, it just it, it becomes... But, like, you, you can only access it through those places. Like, I remember... I don't know if this is too tangential, but I remember in high school, I I was not funny, and <laughs> I didn't get sh shit because I I I I hadn't watched enough TV, and my my friends like the, the the closest friends that I had at the time had so many references to 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 cultural things that I had I had no idea of, and it was like the basis of their comedy, it was the basis of their humor, and I always felt like a little bit weirdly left out until I caught up on all of my Beavis and Butthead and when I caught up on all of my South Park and stuff like that, it was only then that I felt like I had some access to that group. And that's, I guess, in a way, unless unless you are 
writing South Park, the kind of the antithesis of, of, yeah, of having any effect at all on anybody except, <laughs> I mean, in a way, like I felt like, like I had to, I had to join this sort of like weird, just swirling inward thing that they had in order to feel accepted or, or to feel like I, I understood their humor because if I couldn't reference Jackass or if I couldn't reference uh, South Park, I was out. Like, I wasn't going to be funny. I wasn't going to be part of the conversation. In high school, that's going to be a lot more... Uh, that's going to be more difficult. As a, an adult, I'm like, I don't really care what... <laughs> like, that's true, right. I mean, like, I go and see comedy shows and somebody's talking about somebody, I'm like, you shouldn't be talking about this guy anyway because who cares? Right. But, I, yeah. But I guess I bring it up in the uh, because maybe it's... um. Like, I, I don't know if that was, I mean, that's not obviously not where it started, but it just, right. I, like, it was the, 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 the moment where I saw that it was, that, that things seemed to be going in that direction where, like, we weren't, it was going to be hard to get out of that cycle. I mean, it was years later where I even realized how to articulate that even, like, an iota and, and, and had any sort of opinion on it that was, that was not entirely based in ego and just wanting to be accepted. That it was like, yeah. you know, but, but I guess, um, I mean, everyone talks about the '60s as as where art had some sort of effect on on society or on on, on like politically in some sort of way. I mean, when, and I don't know if I don't know if that ended up. I don't know if that was for the better uh, in some ways because, like, then it also made uh, political discussion and political discourse through art commercializable or like a commercial thing yeah for example if you had the, the like the rebel songwriter poet back then you know in 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 bob dylan or in uh joni mitchell um you have it now in avril lavigne because she fits the image and she sort of talks about slightly punk rock things but it's it's not it doesn't have it doesn't land the same it doesn't have that same sort of galvanizing thing and and it's commercial and they sell it based on they sell it rebelliously they sell it rebelliously and sh- and I, I mean i don't mean to criticize her i don't know her music or anything like that and 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 maybe it does have some sort of effect but there's definitely like the 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 now strong you know like strong hand of 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 the record label that's sort of like if, if a little bit more eyeliner a little bit more of this a little bit more sense that that you're being rebellious and 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 will and it'll sell it doesn't like with the '60s. I mean, a lot of it was there was a counterculture and a subculture that was creating all these things, which you don't. I don't feel like there's that doesn't exist as much anymore. So that can't. Like I feel like there should be some qu- sort of movement politically and socially in our country that it just can't seem to get started. Like I mean, we had Occupy, but that just sort of went haywire. <laughs> it's like, I, it, I mean, do you feel like the attention span has like? I don't know if did you ever read this book uh, amusing ourselves to death? No, but I'm aware of it. It I I don't know. I I don't know if it's the great I, when I read it it was one of the greatest things, you know, discoveries for me uh, as far as articulating that idea, but like it seemed like it it was just pointing at the fact that discourse is becoming shorter and and less easily followed. Like people join a discourse for they they hop on and they kind of hop hop off and the language for arguing a point becomes distilled into 
you know, the, into what essentially is like a stump speech, you know, where, where, where you just, you have a, a couple of like, you know, big, like the applaud moments and then we move on to the things and, and, but we don't exactly know everything that we're talking about in the applaud moments, you know, for, for example, for, of a political speech, but also with like a song or with an art piece or something like that, that it has like a political message, uh, or a social message and we, or a tweet, you know, that like we hop on board, but we kind of, we can hop, we have the, we can hop right off without ever really knowing what we were on board for to begin with. If that makes sense. Like, no, it, I mean, that sums up social media to an extent. I mean, I feel right. like I, you see so many things that, in my opinion, just seem horribly misinformed. Like, you're just jumping on something, and you didn't... People don't seem to dig deeper anymore. They're just like, oh, yeah, I'm on board with... Right. I don't want to say anything specific, because I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to hit any hot buttons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it can have... I thought so when I was doing that that pro when I was doing that program, I thought really, I was really convinced that there was some way, at least on a local level to engage people, um, on hope, hopefully local kind of, uh, social or political, um, concerns, um, and make them accessible by way of, of of art or something that just made it more fun in the same way that like a second line you you want to join in you don't know this person who died but you want to join in because it's it's fun and and it's beautiful and um everyone is enjoying it and you just get the sense that like this person must have been great and i, and I you know and uh, you get to the end of things like he molested eight kids right, right, oh my god but it was so fun <laughs> exactly and you know i mean it it's manipulative to some degree uh, also, but it was like, I think when, when I saw, w um, we were, for example, I think the first time that I saw it was, um, uh, a contingent of, of Knoxville activist kids and, and just kids, um, went up to the Re Republican national convention in New York and we went to the protests and we, we made this little like marching band with mostly percussion and, and, and stuff like that. And we didn't know what we were doing, but, um, we just sort of like dressed like trash and walked around and played, <laughs> played drums. And there were other bands that were dressed even better and smarter and, 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 and also playing drums and had horns and stuff, stuff like that. But, you know, it lent like a cel the celebratory mood. It lent, it, 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 it created a lot more, it was just more engaging than for example, just walking on the street, shouting slogans. Like there was something that was more, it just made you want to be there and it made you want to be a part of it. And it made people that didn't necessarily think of spending their day on the street, a little bit more interested in spending their day on the street. And it didn't necessarily divert you from the, like why we're on the street. Um, because, because that, that message was still somewhat clear. Although in, like in the example of Occupy Wall Street, it became less, I think that's been the demise of activist movements is that it is less clear sometimes these days. Yeah. And you brought up, it, it, to me, like the theatrics of the political movements in the 60s. I mean, the shit Gab Abby Hoffman was doing and, and uh, shit, what was his name? Wavy Gravy. I mean, like, but they did, people actually thought that they were trying to levitate the Pentagon. It's like, they knew they couldn't do it. But like, they, the, the theatrics of it pulled people in, which I think is something that's, 
highly lacking. There's only one guy who's doing that now, and I, it's this Satanist guy who the guy who's putting up the statues in Florida and stuff. I don't know about that guy. I've I've interviewed okay. him a couple nice. times, <laughs> but it's like it's Ga- it's Abby Hoffman. I keep saying Gabby. It's Abby Hoffman styled like theatrics of just like we're gonna do something really grandiose and piss everybody off or confuse them or think this is real, and then it pulls people into getting behind it, which I think is, I mean, kind of what we were talking. It's like a lost form, and what you were doing is kind of cool. Like we need to mix it up to get poli- people politically like jazzed again. I'm. I- I think so. I mean, I think I think that that I think that they're sort of inseparable. I think that the 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 I mean, I don't know like historically if there if there's any sort of like basis in it as far as I mean, at some point uh you know, I I feel like basically I feel like and and this is going back to that book but uh amusing ourselves to death, but there was, you know, the presidents would come uh, on their campaign trail and they would stop in towns like small towns and everybody would come to the center and they'd give a speech and it would have real rhetorical arguments with like real followable logical you know discuss like yeah. discussions and 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 everyone was sort of assumed to kind of follow it at least according to this but i don't know if that's true uh, but to some degree like it was expected in in these in these things to like follow it and in a way, that was a form of entertainment. Like, like their their oratorical abilities were entertaining as well as engaging, and their their logical arguments were entertaining because of their creativity. In the same way that like a Carl a George Carlin standup is like you follow his logic, and that's entertaining. And then if it comes out as as something funny, you are entertained, but you're also enlightened at the same time. And in a way, like I feel like political discourse in an idealized world, whether that existed or not <laughs> historically might have, you know, mirrored that. And then now it, it's not exactly, but you need that, you need something to be engaging. And like, everyone's so cynical about anything. Like they're cynical about you showing sad pictures of, of war torn countries. And they're cynical about uh, a president's stump speech. And they're cynical about the, the, the news media. So like the only thing to sort of like break that cynicism or break that sort of, that that rebellion against being informed at all meaningfully seems to be like at least something that's entertaining like something that draws them in that's that's outside of all of these these known formats that are just annoying and and boring and and i guess in a way like you know in our small little microcosm of knoxville where i was going to school it seemed like a, a street band or a marching band or a street theater group or something was going to be better than just like, Hey, let's have cookies and milk and talk about <laughs> politics at these like, you know, aging hippies house. And, and I don't, and not to disparage the aging hippies, but it was like, it was out of, you know, there's a date. point where it's out of touch or out yeah. of date and people don't get it. And like, like university kids are just not going to get, they're not going to volunteer to go spend their time eating cookies at, a, at an aging hippies house, no matter how delicious those cookies delicious are, those <laughs> cookies are, you know, but it's, that's an issue. Cause I feel like when you said like, Oh, marching, it's like nobody marches anymore. You, I mean, they do, but, and there was a big turnout in New York, but I think it's like, it's needs to progress a bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, t- t- something. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, in the end, in the end, if I think you could have end up with the the problem with Occupy Wall Street, which was that like in the end, I felt like 
when certain people came on board and did free concerts in part in Zuccotti Park or, or wherever, um, people came out for the concert and had no intention of staying or I mean maybe you, you grabbed a couple of other people but the the news media everyone like latched onto the fact that like person X did a concert you know a free concert and uh, I think Amanda Palmer did one uh, maybe in Zuccotti or something like that and you know and and she's really political and really socially active but to some degree like it could I don't know it's just everyone sees through everything at this point (laughs) (laughs) so i'm i'm more cynical than i was back then but i yeah i felt like the yes men do you know about the yes men i haven't seen that but i do know about it i should watch that it's it's worth a watch just to see how because because they brought they did kind of what um you know Altman. Altman did. I just watched this with Turner eighty eight, uh, his HBO series where he had like kind of a fake presidential candidate, but he he had him interact with people as if he was on the campaign trail. Um, it's it's worth a watch. Like it's it's pretty good, Altmany. You know, um, TV. But um, but uh, I I the the Yes Men brought their theatrics into real life situations and somehow miraculously position themselves to be um, uh, spokespeople or experts on, on real situations. So for example, they ended up getting asked on, I think it was CNN or something to represent, I think it was Dow chemical. That's incredible. Um, I, I forget. And, uh, but they also were asked to represent the world bank or the world trade organization um, at a big, uh, business meeting in Finland that they went to because they did these sort of fake websites and people went to the website and they didn't know that it wasn't Dow Chemical or that it wasn't the World Trade Organization wow. and so they went and they and they did it they posed as these people and they gave outlandish speeches uh, about or or they give gave outlandish interviews about what um, what they represented that was intended to sort of flip the script on on what a normal like PR person is going to do for Dow Chemical, for example. I don't remember what their Dow Chemical speech was exactly, but I, who do you remember who it was that with that that the Bhopal spill in Bhopal, India? They they did one for them. I don't know if it was Dow or another company, but they said we're we're we apologize. We're really sorry. We're going to give millions and like this this many millions of dollars. Uh, to help clean up uh, and to like refund the families who were displaced and all of that kind of thing. And then Dow and then the, the company, I don't think it was Dow chemical, but the company had to send their PR in to, to rebut that. And their, their PR essentially said, no, we're not sorry. And we're not going to give money to that, which is a huge, you know, like when, for the people who watch CNN, which is, I don't know how many people there are, but you know, if they actually watched that narrative, they're seeing, they're seeing this company that's representing itself by saying, "No, we don't take responsibility. We're not going to help out. Um, we have nothing to do with it." And uh, and that's that. So these guys were imposters, and they suck, and they're disparaging our image. But they, you know, in doing that, they're killing their image. It seems like if you're <laughs> if you're thinking about it at all, because like they had something to do with it. There's just no. Chemicals were spilled, people were displaced, and it was That's... your company. So, you, yeah, so that was a big thing. And they were, you know, they were really serious about it. And they were, 
they were really convincing and it was aired on national, you know, on, on live TV. That's incredible. Um, so that was one of, I studied, you know, when I did that program, I was like studying them a lot. I was looking at everything that they were doing. Um, you know, Brecht was another one just because he like within the theater context, he, he made a, a real point to sort of say, Hey, we're, we're doing theater, but we're talking about something that's real. So don't get too involved in the emotions of this, of this, of the theatrical representation, because what we're talking about is actually happening right now. And you need to know about it. You know, was like, like his heightened, the, the heightened style and the sort of like the, the breaks with the audience that sort of, uh, talked directly to the audience about things were sort of all like geared to just sort of say you're being entertained but don't buy into it too much <laughs> because what we're talking about is real and and i liked that you know i felt like that what wh- whomever that accessed it accessed it really you know and and then the same went for the yes man like whoever did watch that 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 whole drama with cnn actually saw a a, a huge disparity and 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 how a company represents itself and how a company handles uh taking responsibility for something that you know arguably ought to be handled a little bit more the way humanely (laughs) the way they handled it fakely right um before we wind up i just want to ask one thing is so has the grammy affected the way the anything with the band now is it do you guys get is more stuff happening or is it uh no. <laughs> okay. Uh, Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Where no, it's it. Everything has slowed down actually since then, and uh, I don't know. I don't know how to leverage that kind of thing. I don't think. I don't think anybody knows how to leverage that, or whether it's even leverage. like appropriate to leverage a thing like that, right? Or I to mean, use it as. It also it's say. only been a couple of weeks, so it could be. You never know in in the coming months it's true i mean we don't even have a a booking agent in the in the u.s or anything like that so so they might have used it better than we would but you know as a as a band that's representing itself it's always hard to sort of you know send emails out and say we're we're, we're grammy nominated and we're awesome and uh and i'm a great trombone player (laughs) um so you should hire us and and you should pay us this amount of money because you're never going to see anything. You know, you can't do that. If I was Grammy nominated, that would be my introduction. Hi, I'm Matt Dwyer, Grammy nominated. <laughs> there you go. Start every show that way. <laughs> Hi, we're the California Feet Warmers. Grammy nominated. We're we're trying it. Uh, they're, they're so, yeah, we've, I, we have, we've actually tried to throw it out a couple of times, but it just feels weird. No, I'm, I know. I'm, it, yeah. I mean, that's that's another thing that's like, it's interesting because it's like, it's an such an era of self-promotion and I just can't get in that like look at me like yeah. every it's like I don't even like tweet tweeting like hey I'm doing a show like I'm just like yeah people <laughs> I, call, I don't want to bug you just if you're free like that's how I should tweet yeah <laughs> yeah I know I, I we're we're right now um, at least with the the, the fee warmers we're we're looking for if any of your listeners are booking agents and are interested in booking us <laughs> but we're but we're basically like looking for that you know somebody who who will. Who will represent us that 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 doesn't have to be humble, because because we, we even if we don't want to be we have to be, because you just look like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah, that's the old school way of just like you could be the humble artist and then you hire some guy who's a big mouth asshole. Yeah. And it's like now you have to be both. And it's like those two schools don't mix. No. Artists shouldn't be the loud mouth asshole unless they're Jack White. (laughs) (laughs) You did it. I I heard Buster Keaton did that too, apparently. Really? Yeah, I heard that. I, I don't know if it's true, but I heard he went to England having not done like a, a whole lot of stuff in the U.S. and basically at that time was like, I'm huge in the U.S. And they were like, all right, we'll hire you for this, this, and this, and this, and this. And when he went back to the U.S., he was like, I'm huge in England. Like I'm, I don't oh, know if that so story smart. is exactly true, but you know, he he he, th- he was theatrical about it. You know, he he. That's uh, Orson Welles did the same thing pretty much. He went to Ireland. Was like, oh yeah, I've, like he was like a teenager. I was like, oh, I'm this well-studied actor. I do all this stuff. It's like because you can't Google it in 1930. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now you're screwed. Like now. But uh, where can people find? Is there the website, Twitter, things like that? Uh, yeah. There's uh, the California Feet Warmers dot or it's California Feet Warmers dot com is uh, the website, and I think there's a Twitter of probably on the website is on the website, um, and Blasting Company also has a dot com. Um, we managed to be just unique enough to get to, to get those websites before, you know, anybody else before. Uh, yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Go to my Conversations with Matt Dwyer page at feralaudio.com. Use the Amazon link to buy things. We get a kickback of that money. It helps us out a great deal. A great, great, great deal. Uh, or donate. Just flat out donate. Go to my website, themattdwyer.com, and uh, follow all things that are Matt Dwyer. I love you. That's a road to ride, baby. Your troubling mind. Well, I got the letter. This is the way it read. Hey, loaded mama, mama. Hey, loaded papa, papa. Holler about the way it read. Come home, come home, man. Well, I got my suitcase, bundled up my clothes. Hey, Lordy, Mama, Mama, hey, Lordy, Papa, Papa, holler, not bundled up clothes. Oh, when I got there, she was laying on the cooling floor. Uh, there were two white horses standing on the burying ground. Mama, mama, hey, Lordy, papa, papa, howling about the burying ground. You ought to seen their faces when they let her down.
mama, mama, hey, Lordy, papa, papa, Holland, gonna stop out France. I'm gonna stop out France just to give those girls a chance. Baby, down the mobile line Hey, Lordy, Mama, Mama Hey, Lordy, Papa, Papa Holland about the mobile line Oh, that's a road to ride Baby, he's your troubling mind National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.